the majority of all who have discovered the principle of mind chemistry and developed that principle into a master mind have stumbled upon this knowledge by the merest of accident, often failing to recognize the real nature of their discovery or to understand the source of their power. This author is of the opinion that all living persons who at the present time are consciously making use of the principle of mind chemistry and developing power through the blending of minds, may be counted on the fingers of the two hands, with, perhaps, several fingers left to spare. If this estimate is even approximately true the student will readily see that there is but slight danger of the field of mind chemistry practice becoming overcrowded. It is a well-known fact that one of the most difficult tasks that any businessman must perform is that of inducing those who are associated with him to coordinate their efforts in a spirit of harmony. To induce continuous cooperation between a group of workers, in any undertaking, is next to impossible. Only the most efficient leaders can accomplish this highly desired object, but once in a great while such a leader will rise above the horizon in the field of industry, business or finance, and then the world hears of a Henry Ford, Thomas A. Edison, John D. Rockefeller, Sr., E. H. Harriman or James J. Hill. Power and success are practically synonymous terms. One grows out of the other, therefore, any person who has the knowledge and the ability to develop power, through the principle of harmonious. Never, in the history of the world, has there been such abundant opportunity as there is now for the person who is willing to serve before trying to collect. Coordination of effort between individual minds, or in any other manner, may be successful in any reasonable undertaking that is possible of successful termination. Middle dot 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 middle dot. It must not be assumed that a master mind will immediately spring, mushroom fashion, out of every group of minds which make pretense of coordination. In a spirit of harmony. Harmony, in the real sense of meaning of the word, is as rare among groups of people as is genuine Christianity among those who proclaim themselves Christians. Harmony is the nucleus around which the state of mind known as mastermind must be developed. Without this element of harmony there can be no mastermind, a truth which cannot be repeated too often. Woodrow Wilson had in mind the development of a mastermind, to be composed of groups of minds representing the civilized nations of the world, in his proposal for establishing the League of Nations. Wilson's conception was the most far-reaching humanitarian idea ever created in the mind of man, because it dealt with a principle which embraces sufficient power to establish a real brotherhood of man on earth. The League of Nations, or some similar blending of international minds, in a spirit of harmony, is sure to become a reality. The time when such unity of minds will take place will be measured largely by the time required for the great universities and non-sectarian institutions of learning to supplant ignorance and superstition with understanding and wisdom. This time is rapidly approaching. The psychology of the revival meeting, the old religious orgy known as the revival offers a favorable opportunity to study the principle of mind chemistry known as mastermind. It will be observed that music plays no small part in bringing about the harmony essential to the blending of a group of minds in a revival meeting. Without music the revival meeting would be a tame affair. During revival services the leader of the meeting has no difficulty in creating harmony in the minds of his devotees, but it is a well-known fact that this state of harmony lasts no longer than the presence of the leader, after which the mastermind he has temporarily created disintegrates. By arousing the emotional nature of his followers the revivalist has no difficulty, under the proper stage setting and with the embellishment of the right sort of music, in creating a mastermind which becomes noticeable to all who come in contact with it. The very air becomes charged with a positive, pleasing influence which changes the entire chemistry of all minds present. The revivalist calls this energy the Spirit of the Lord. This author, through experiments conducted with a group of scientific investigators and laymen, who were unaware of the nature of the experiment, 
has created the same state of mind and the same positive atmosphere without calling it the Spirit of the Lord. On many occasions this author has witnessed the creation of the same positive atmosphere in a group of men and women engaged in the business of salesmanship, without calling it the Spirit of the Lord. The author helped conduct a school of salesmanship for Harrison Parker, founder of the Cooperative Society, of Chicago, and, by the use of the same principle of mind chemistry which the revivalist calls the Spirit of the Lord, so transformed the nature of a group of 3,000 men and women, all of whom were without former sales experience, that they sold more than $10 million worth of securities in less than nine months, and earned more than $1 million for themselves. It was found that the average person who joined this school would reach the zenith of his or her selling power within one week, after which it was necessary to revitalize the individual's brain through a group sales meeting. These sales meetings were conducted on very much the same order as are the modern revival meetings of the religionist, with much the same stage equipment, including music and high-powered speakers who exhorted the salespeople in very much the same manner as does the modern religious revivalist. Call it religion, psychology, mind chemistry or anything you please, they are all based upon the same principle, but there is nothing more certain than the fact that wherever a group of minds are brought into contact, in a spirit of perfect harmony, each mind in the group becomes immediately supplemented and reinforced by a noticeable energy called a mastermind. For all this writer professes to know this uncharted energy may be the Spirit of the Lord, but it operates just as favorably when called by any other name. The human brain and nervous system constitute a piece of intricate machinery which but few, if any, understand. When controlled and properly directed this piece of machinery can be made to perform wonders of achievement and if not controlled it will perform wonders fantastic and phantom-like in nature, as may be seen by examining the inmates of any insane asylum. The human brain has direct connection with a continuous influx of energy from which man derives his power to think. The brain receives this energy, mixes it with the energy created by the food taken into the body, and distributes it to every portion of the body, through the aid of the blood and the nervous system. It thus becomes what we call life. From what source this outside energy comes no one seems to know, all we know about it is that we must have it or die. It seems reasonable to suppose that this energy is none other than that which we call ether, and that it flows into the body along with the oxygen from the air, as we breathe. Every normal human body possesses a first-class chemical laboratory and a stock of chemicals sufficient to carry on the business of breaking up, assimilating and properly mixing and compounding the food we take into the body, preparatory to distributing it to wherever it is needed as a bodybuilder. Ample tests have been made, both with man and beast, to prove that the energy known as the mind plays an important part in this chemical operation of compounding and transforming food into the required substances to build and keep the body in repair. It is known that worry, excitement or fear will interfere with the digestive process, and in extreme cases stop this process altogether, resulting in illness or death. It is obvious, then, that the mind enters into the chemistry of food digestion and distribution. It is believed by many eminent authorities, although it may never have been scientifically proved, that the energy known as mind or thought may become contaminated with negative or unsociable units to such an extent that the whole nervous system is thrown out of working order, digestion is interfered with and various and sundry forms of disease will manifest themselves. Financial difficulties and unrequited love affairs had the list of causes of such mind disturbances. A negative environment such as that existing where some member of the family is constantly nagging, will interfere with the chemistry of the mind to such an extent that the individual will lose ambition and gradually sink into oblivion. It is because of this fact that the old saying that a man's wife may either make or break him is literally true. In a subsequent lesson a whole chapter on this subject is addressed to the wives of men. Any high school student knows that certain food combinations will, 
if taken into the stomach, result in indigestion, violent pain and even death. Good health depends, in part at least, upon a food combination that harmonizes. But harmony of food combinations is not sufficient to ensure good health, there must be harmony, also, between the units of energy known as the mind. A man is half-wit the minute he begins to feel sorry for himself, or to spin an alibi with which he would explain away his defects. Harmony seems to be one of nature's laws, without which there can be no such thing as organized energy, or life in any form whatsoever. The health of the body as well as the mind is literally built around, out of and upon the principle of harmony. The energy known as life begins to disintegrate and death approaches when the organs of the body stop working in harmony. The moment harmony ceases at the source of any form of organized energy, power, the units of that energy are thrown into a chaotic state of disorder and the power is rendered neutral or passive. Harmony is also the nucleus around which the principle of mind chemistry known as a master mind develops power. Destroy this harmony and you destroy the power growing out of the coordinated effort of a group of individual minds. This truth has been stated, restated and presented in every manner which the author could conceive, with unending repetition, for the reason that unless the student grasps this principle and learns to apply it this lesson is useless. Success in life, no matter what one may call success, is very largely a matter of adaptation to environment in such a manner that there is harmony between the individual and his environment. The palace of a king becomes as a hovel of a peasant if harmony does not abound within its walls. Conversely stated, the hut of a peasant may be made to yield more happiness than that of the mansion of the rich man, if harmony obtains in the former and not in the latter. Without perfect harmony the science of astronomy would be as useless as the bones of a saint, because the stars and planets would clash with one another, and all would be in a state of chaos and disorder. Without the law of harmony an acorn might grow into a heterogeneous tree consisting of the wood of the oak, poplar, maple and whatnot. Without the law of harmony the blood might deposit the food which grows fingernails on the scalp where hair is supposed to grow, and thus create a horny growth which might easily be mistaken, by the superstitious, to signify man's relationship to a certain imaginary gentleman with horns, often referred to by the more primitive type. Without the law of harmony there can be no organization of knowledge, for what, may one ask, is organized knowledge except the harmony of facts and truths and natural laws? The moment discord begins to creep in at the front door harmony edges out at the back door, so to speak, whether the application is made to a business partnership or the orderly movement of the planets of the heavens. If the student gathers the impression that the author is laying undue stress upon the importance of harmony, let it be remembered that lack of harmony is the first, and often the last and only, cause of failure. There can be no poetry nor music nor oratory worthy of notice without the presence of harmony. Good architecture is largely a matter of harmony. Without harmony a house is nothing but a mass of building material, more or less a monstrosity. Sound business management plants the very sinews of its existence in harmony. Every well-dressed man or woman is a living picture and a moving example of harmony. With all these workaday illustrations of the important part which harmony plays in the affairs of the world, nay, in the operation of the entire universe, how could any intelligent person leave harmony out of his definite aim in life? As well have no definite aim as to omit harmony as the chief stone of its foundation. The human body is a complex organization of organs, glands, blood vessels, nerves, brain cells, muscles, etc. The mind energy which stimulates to action and coordinates the efforts of the component parts of the body is also a plurality of ever-varying and changing energies. From birth until death there is continuous struggle, often assuming the nature of open combat, between the forces of the mind. For example, 
the lifelong struggle between the motivating forces and desires of the human mind, which takes place between the impulses of right and wrong, is well known to everyone. Every human being possesses at least two distinct mind powers or personalities, and as many as six distinct personalities have been discovered in one person. One of man's most delicate tasks is that of harmonizing these mind forces so that they may be organized and directed toward the orderly attainment of a given objective. Without this element of harmony no individual can become an accurate thinker. It is no wonder that leaders in business and industrial enterprises, as well as those in politics and and other fields of endeavor, find it so difficult to organize groups of people so they will function in the attainment of a given objective, without friction. Each individual human being possesses forces, within himself, which are hard to harmonize, even when he is placed in the environment most favorable to harmony. If the chemistry of the individual's mind is such that the units of his mind cannot be easily harmonized, think how much more difficult it must be to harmonize a group of minds so they will function as one, in an orderly manner, through what is known as a master mind. The leader who successfully develops and directs the energies of a master mind must possess tact, patience, persistence, self-confidence, intimate knowledge of mind chemistry and the ability to adapt himself, in a state of perfect poise and harmony, to quickly changing circumstances, without showing the least sign of annoyance. How many are there who can measure up to this requirement? The successful leader must possess the ability to change the color of his mind, chameleon-like, to fit every circumstance that arises in connection with the object of his leadership. Moreover, he must possess the ability to change from one mood to another without showing the slightest signs of anger or lack of self-control. The successful leader must understand the 15 laws of success and be able to put into practice any combination of these 15 laws whenever occasion demands. Without this ability no leader can be powerful, and without power no leader can long endure. The meaning of education, there has long been a general misconception of the meaning of the word educate. The dictionaries have not aided in the elimination of this misunderstanding, because they have defined the word educate as an act of imparting knowledge. The word educate has its roots in the Latin word educo, which means to develop from within, to adduce, to draw out, to grow through the law of use. Nature hates idleness in all its forms. She gives continuous life only to those elements which are in use. Tie up an arm, or any other portion of the body, taking it out of use, and the idle part will soon atrophy and become lifeless. Reverse the order, give an arm more than normal use, such as that engaged in by the blacksmith who wields a heavy hammer all day long, and that arm developed from within, grows strong. Power grows out of organized knowledge, but, mind you, it grows out of it through application and use. A man may become a walking encyclopedia of knowledge without possessing any power of value. This knowledge becomes power only to the extent that it is organized, classified and put into action. Some of the best educated men the world has known possessed much less general knowledge than some who have been known as fools, the difference between the two being that the former put what knowledge they possessed into use while the latter made no such application. An educated person is one who knows how to acquire everything he needs in the attainment of his main purpose in life, without violating the rights of. Seek the counsel of men who will tell you the truth about yourself, even if it hurts you to hear it. Mere commendation will not bring the improvement you need. His fellow men. It might be a surprise to many so-called men of learning to know that they come nowhere near qualification as men of education. It might also be a great surprise to many who believe they suffer from lack of learning to know that they are well-educated. The successful lawyer is not necessarily the one who memorizes the greatest number of principles of law. On the contrary, the successful lawyer is the one who knows where to find a principle of law, plus a variety of opinions supporting that principle which fit the immediate needs of a given case. 
In other words, the successful lawyer is he who knows where to find the law he wants when he needs it. This principle applies, with equal force, to the affairs of industry and business. Henry Ford had but little elementary schooling, yet he is one of the best educated men in the world because he has acquired the ability so to combine natural and economic laws, to say nothing of the minds of men, that he has the power to get anything of a material nature he wants. Some years ago during the World War Mr. Ford brought suit against the Chicago Tribune, charging that newspaper with libelous publication of statements concerning him, one of which was the statement that Ford was an ignoramus, an ignorant pacifist, etc. When the suit came up for trial the attorneys for the Tribune undertook to prove, by Ford himself, that their statement was true, that he was ignorant and with this object in view they catechized and cross-examined him on all manner of subjects. One question they asked was, How many soldiers did the British send over to subdue the rebellion in the colonies in 1776? With a dry grin on his face Ford nonchalantly replied, I do not know just how many, but I have heard that it was a lot more than ever went back. Loud laughter from court, jury, courtroom spectators, and even from the frustrated lawyer who had asked the question. This line of interrogation was continued for an hour or more, Ford keeping perfectly calm the meanwhile. Finally, however, he had permitted the smart Alec lawyers to play with him until he was tired of it, and in reply to a question which was particularly obnoxious and insulting, Ford straightened himself up, pointed his finger at the questioning lawyer and replied. If I should really wish to answer the foolish question you have just asked, or any of the others you have been asking, let me remind you that I have a row of electric push buttons hanging over my desk and by placing my finger on the right button I could call in men who could give me the correct answer to all the questions you have asked and to many that you have not the intelligence either to ask or answer. Now, will you kindly tell me why I should bother about filling my mind with a lot of useless details in order to answer every fool question that anyone may ask, when I have able men all about me who can supply me with all the facts I want when I call for them? This answer is quoted from memory, but it substantially relates Ford's answer. There was silence in the courtroom. The questioning attorney's under jaw dropped down, his eyes opened widely, the judge leaned forward from the bench and gazed in Mr. Ford's direction. Many of the jury awoke and looked around as if they had heard an explosion which they actually had. A prominent clergyman who was present in the courtroom at the time said, later, that the scene reminded him of that which must have existed when Jesus Christ was on trial before Pontius Pilate, just after he had given his famous reply to Pilate's question, what is truth? In the vernacular of the day, Ford's reply knocked the questioner cold. Up to the time of that reply the lawyer had been enjoying considerable fun at what he believed to be Ford's expense, by adroitly displaying his, the lawyer's, sample case of general knowledge and comparing it with what he inferred to be Ford's ignorance as to many events and subjects. But that answer spoiled the lawyer's funnel. It also proved once more, to all who had the intelligence to accept the proof, that true education means mind development, not merely the gathering and classifying of knowledge. Ford could not, in all probability, have named the capitals of all the states of the United States, but he could have and in fact had gathered the capital with which to turn many wheels within every state in the Union. Education let us not forget this consists of the power with which to get everything one needs when he needs it, without violating the rights of his fellow men. Ford comes well within that definition, and for the reason which the author has here tried to make plain, by relating the foregoing incident connected with the simple Ford philosophy. There are many men of learning who could easily entangle Ford, theoretically, with a maze of questions none of which he, personally, could answer. But Ford could turn right around and wage a battle in industry, or finance that would exterminate those same men, with all of their knowledge and all of their wisdom. 
Ford could not go into his chemical laboratory and separate water into its component atoms of hydrogen and oxygen and then recombine these atoms in their former order, but he knows how to surround himself with chemists who can do this for him if he wants it done. The man who can intelligently use the knowledge possessed by another is as much or more a man of education as the person who merely has the knowledge but does not know what to do with it. The president of a well-known college inherited a large tract of very poor land. This land had no timber of commercial value, no minerals or other valuable appurtenances, therefore it was nothing but a source of expense to him, for he had to pay taxes on it. The state built a highway through the land. An uneducated man who was driving his automobile over this road observed that this poor land was on top of a mountain which commanded a wonderful view for many miles in all directions. He, the ignorant one, also observed that the land was covered with a growth of small pines and other saplings. He bought 50 acres of the land for $10 an acre. Near the public highway he built a unique log house to which he attached a large dining room. Near the house he put in a gasoline filling station. He built a dozen single-room log houses along the road, these he rented out to tourists at $3 a night, each. The dining room, gasoline filling station and log houses brought him a net income of $15,000 the first year. The next year he extended his plan by adding 50 more log houses, of three rooms each, which he now rents out as summer country homes to people in a nearby city, at a rental of $150 each for the season. The building material cost him nothing, for it grew on his land in abundance, that same land which the college president believed to be worthless. Moreover, the unique and unusual appearance of the log bungalow served as an advertisement of the plan, whereas many would have considered it a real calamity had they been compelled to build out of such crude materials. Less than five miles from the location of these log houses this same man purchased an old worked-out farm of 150 acres, for $25 an acre, a price which the seller believed to be extremely high. By building a dam, 100 feet in length, the purchaser of this old farm turned a stream of water into a lake that covered 15 acres of the land, stocked the lake with fish, then sold the farm off in building lots to people who wanted summering places around the lake. The total profit realized from this simple transaction was more than $25,000, and the time required for its consummation was one summer. Yet this man of vision and imagination was not educated in the orthodox meaning of that term. Let us keep in mind the fact that it is through. When you lose your sense of humor, get a job running an elevator, because your life will be a series of UPS and downs, anyway. These simple illustrations of the use of organized knowledge that one may become educated and powerful. In speaking of the transaction here related, the college president who sold the 50 acres of worthless, land for $500 said. Just think of it. That man, whom most of us might call ignorant, mixed his ignorance with 50 acres of worthless land and made the combination yield more yearly than I earned from five years of application of so-called education. There is an opportunity, if not scores of them, in every state in America, to make use of the idea here described. From now on make it your business to study the lay of all land you see that is similar to that described in this lesson, and you may find a suitable place for developing a similar money-making enterprise. The idea is particularly adaptable in localities where bathing beaches are few, as people naturally like such conveniences. The automobile has caused a great system of public highways to be built throughout the United States. On practically every one of these highways there is a suitable spot for a cabin city for tourists which can be turned into a regular money-making mint by the man with the imagination and self-confidence to do it. There are opportunities to make money all around you. This course was designed to help you see these opportunities, and to inform you how to make the most of them after you discover them. 
WHO can profit most by the law of success philosophy? Railroad officials who want a better spirit of cooperation between their trainmen and the public they serve. Salaried people who wish to increase their earning power and market their services to better advantage. Salespeople who wish to become masters in their chosen field. The law of success philosophy covers every known law of selling, and includes many features not included in any other course. Industrial plant managers who understand the value of greater harmony among their employees. Railroad employees who wish to establish records of efficiency which will lead to more responsible positions, with greater pay. Merchants who wish to extend their business by adding new customers. The law of success philosophy will help any merchant increase his business by teaching him how to make a walking advertisement of every customer who comes into his store. Automobile agents who wish to increase the selling power of their salesmen. A large part of the law of success course was developed from the life work and experience of the greatest automobile salesman living, and it is therefore of unusual help to the sales manager who is directing the efforts of automobile salesmen. Life insurance agents who wish to add new policyholders and increase the insurance on present policyholders. One life insurance salesman, in Ohio, sold a $50,000 policy to one of the officials of the Central Steel Company, as the result of but one reading of the lesson on profiting by failures. This same salesman has become one of the star men of the New York Life Insurance Company's staff, as the result of his training in the 15 laws of success. School teachers who wish to advance to the top in their present occupation, or who are looking for an opportunity to enter the more profitable field of business as a life work. Students, both college and high school, who are undecided as to what field of endeavor they wish to enter as a life work. The Law of Success course covers a complete personal analysis service which helps the student of the philosophy to determine the work for which he or she is best fitted. Bankers who wish to extend their business through better and more courteous methods of serving their clients. Bank clerks who are ambitious to prepare themselves for executive positions in the field of banking, or in some commercial or industrial field. Physicians and dentists who wish to extend their practice without violating the ethics of their profession by direct advertising. A prominent physician has said that the law of success course is worth $1,000 to any professional man or woman whose professional ethics prevent direct advertising. Promoters who wish to develop new and heretofore unworked combinations in business or industry. The principle described in this introductory lesson is said to have made a small fortune for a man who used it as the basis of a real estate promotion. Real estate man who wish new methods for promoting sales. This introductory lesson contains a description of an entirely new real estate promotion plan which is sure to make fortunes for many who will put it to use. This plan may be put into operation in practically every state. Moreover, it may be employed by men who never promoted an enterprise. Farmers who wish to discover new methods of marketing their products so as to give them greater net returns, and those who own land suitable for subdivision promotion under the plan referred to at the end of this introductory lesson. Thousands of farmers have gold mines in the land they own which is not suitable for cultivation, which could be used for recreation and resort purposes, on a highly profitable basis. Stenographers and bookkeepers who are looking for a practical plan to promote themselves into higher and better paying positions. The Law of Success course is said to be the best course ever written on the subject of marketing personal services. Printers who want a larger volume of business and more efficient production as the result of better cooperation among their own employees. Day laborers who have the ambition to advance into more responsible positions, in work that has greater responsibilities and consequently offers more pay. Lawyers who wish to extend their clientele through dignified, ethical methods which will bring them to the attention, in a favorable way of a greater number of people who need legal services. Business executives who wish to expand their present business, or who wish to handle their present volume with less expense, 
as the result of greater cooperation between their employees. Laundry owners who wish to extend their business by teaching their drivers how to serve more courteously and efficiently. Life insurance general agents who wish bigger and more efficient sales organizations. Chain store managers who want a greater volume of business as the result of more efficient individual sales efforts. Married people who are unhappy, and therefore unsuccessful, because of lack of harmony and cooperation in the home. To all described in the foregoing classification the law of success philosophy offers both definite and speedy aid. Greater than an AIM in life is the only fortune worth finding, and it is not to be found in foreign lands, but in the greater than greater than heart itself greater than greater than Robert Louis Stevenson